Well, I, once again, I, I want to appreciate the, the, the very kind introduction that I just had. Uh, it's, it's such a pleasure to be invited um, to come and fellowship with you guys and work with you guys. And it's doubly an honor to be able to stand here and present the Word of God to you. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, that is. And um, what I'm going to do is, if, if you are able to, I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to begin our reading here in Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 12. We read in the inspired pages of Holy Scripture, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Why don't you please join me in a word of prayer? Father God, Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We come before you in the name of our great high priest. Dear Lord, he gave his lifeblood on the cross so that all those throughout time who would ever believe in him would pass away from sin and, and, and pass into true spiritual life. Dear God, we have been pardoned. Our many transgressions have been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ perfectly. Dear God, that is the reason why we can stand here today. That is the reason why we can call ourselves Christians. That is the reason why we can call ourselves redeemed. Not because of anything that I've ever done or anything any of your dear saints in this church have ever done, but solely based upon your love, your mercy, and your grace that you have shown us. Father God, I just pray for the work of service. I pray that your name would be glorified, that you would be honored, that you would be revered in what we do here. I pray that the truth of your scripture, the truth of your inspired word, would be made known, would be clear, and that we would be, it would be impressed upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that we would be able to walk anew. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The message that that really I have for you today is, is one that I think really shows that at the heart of, of every Christian, particularly the Christian preacher, is that there's a certain sense in which it is hypocritical for me to stand before you this morning and, and read the words of Scripture that I have for you and to explain the words to you and to exhort you and to call you to live according to the standard of Scripture. Now, why is that? That is because I myself am incapable of following the Word of God perfectly, as I ought to. Now, does that mean that when I sin, it is okay that I sin? That, that it's an excuse for me? Of course not. And any true Christian in this room knows that that's not the case. But what I, what I want to first and foremost recognize before we proceed with the sermon is, is, is truthfully that I am a man who, who stands here by grace. And, and I at no point, though the message that I am going to be preaching to you is the Word of God, that, that needs to be first and foremost. That needs to be made clear. That's the standard we are all to live to is the Word of God. But what I just want to remind you is that this is not something we do in our own strength. This is something that we do by grace. And so I just want that to be very, very clear from the outset. Now, 
The Christian church proclaims many great and many true things. We share with people about the love of God. We tell people about the wonderful hope that is found in Jesus Christ. But my beloved, I, I am afraid that a lot of the time we are guilty of only telling people what we think that they want to hear instead of telling them what the Bible says they need to hear. Now, my brothers and sisters, I am well aware that in our day, many people are suffering from loneliness, from anxiety, from depression, from hopelessness, from unfulfillment, and a myriad of other things. And I am quite certain that the solution to all of these problems is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I really, I truthfully am. But what I am afraid is that sometimes what we do not recognize is that none of these problems are the chief problem. You see, the biggest problem that I have, and the biggest problem that, that you have, that everyone has, is the problem of sin. The reality is that sin is so deadly an enemy, so treacherous an enemy, that it affects every single human being. Not one person can say that they have not been affected by sin. Not one. Every descendant of Adam is born in sin. And it is a deadly enemy in that it continues to send people to damnation every day. And it is so powerful an enemy that even as Christians, as those of us who can say we've been born again, that we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God, we still struggle with sin. And so this is not something to be ignored. It's not something that is only for the old-fashioned and the traditional or conservative people to discuss. This is a reality that the Christian needs to be aware of. And so it is in acknowledging this truth that I have chosen my text for today because I believe that the truth of the existence of sin and our battle against it is worth our utmost attention. Now the verse that I really am going to be laser focusing on this morning is Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14. The apostle writes, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. There was a 19th century minister by the name of John Charles Ryle, and he wrote the following words. He said, it is a solemn thing to hear the word of God saying, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Now, it is a solemn thing indeed. Of all of the topics that God's word touches on, few topics are as seldom meaningfully addressed in our day and in our churches as the topic of holiness. We are so busy with so many things in our day. We are so busy with so many things in our churches. But how often, truthfully, do we concern ourselves to be busy with that which pertains to holiness? So many professing believers love all of our worship songs, take part in the many programs and many different things that our churches offer, have their favorite Bible verses memorized, shared on Facebook, hung up on the fridge, tattooed on their arms, uh, watch TV shows that, that pretend to be teaching the Bible, or all these different things. But many of these same people not only know nothing of holiness, but care very little about it at all. How many people in this room today, and this is a question that must be asked of myself as I remind you, how many people in this room today am I describing? You know, few doctrines are as neglected in our modern church as that of holiness. And nevertheless, in this inspired text of Scripture, which we say is holy, which we confess is the Word of God, that it is God free, that it is God speaking to us, what we read is that the Apostle tells us that we ought to strive for holiness. And he adds this qualifier for holiness. He says that without holiness, no one will see the 
the Lord. Now, in contemplating this text, I see three questions which I would like to address in this message today, and I pray that by the grace of God I would be able to do so faithfully and in keeping with his word, and that this message would be a blessing to your soul and help you along in your Christian walk. Now, I'm going to read to you the following questions. Some of you may be note-takers. You can write these down, and I'll bring them up again as we go through. But the three questions that I am going to seek to answer are this. Question number one, what does it mean that without holiness no one will see the Lord? Question number two, why should we be holy? And question number three, how are we to be holy? So the first question that I want to answer is really pretty basic, it's pretty simple. It's the first question that you should ask when you come to any passage of scripture, you should ask, what does this passage mean? And so our passage this morning is telling us that without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. So the question we are to ask, plainly, is what does that mean? What does it mean that without holiness, no one will see the Lord? Before we can make any practical application from this text, before we can apply it to our lives, we need to know what's being communicated to us. So, how do we explain what this verse means, that without holiness no one shall see the Lord? Well, first we should ask, what is holiness? Generally speaking, the word holiness refers to that which is set apart, or sacred. Something that is holy is something that, for one reason or another, has been distinguished from the common things of this world. For some of us, you may know the feeling when you leave the outside world or, and you walk into church, you may have this feeling that you've left that which is ordinary and you've entered into some place that is, that is different. This, this, this is a sacred gathering that we are having this morning. You've entered somewhere special. You've entered somewhere that is not worldly. That, that's, that's what holiness is, is trying to communicate. The Greek word hagiosmos, which is translated as holiness in our text, has a very similar meaning, but has more specifically to do with personal dedication, one's personal and practical life. Bedag defines the word as personal dedication to the interests of the deity. Ryle says holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God according as we find his mind described in scripture. He says, he who is most holy entirely agrees with God. He who most entirely agrees with God, he is the most holy man. So for you and me, as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, to pursue holiness, what we are pursuing is the conforming of our minds and our actions to that which is most Christ-like and therefore pleasing to God. We are striving to kill the sin in our lives and increase the amount of good and Christ-honoring works that we do. By no means does it mean that we are perfect and that we have no sin. And I would even go so far as to add that not every Christian is going to be at the same level, the same degree. It should be quite obvious that someone who has been walking with the Lord for a long time is going to have holiness to a greater degree than someone who is a child in the faith. We, we, we understand that. But the issue in this text, in Hebrews chapter 12, is not how much of a degree of holiness you have, but that you have a degree of holiness at all. The question is, are you headed in the direction of righteousness? Are you actively trying to change your mind, to alter the way you think, to alter the way you live, to conform it to the standard of Scripture, to conform it to the mind of God? Are you trying to be Christ-like? This, these are the aspirations of one who is striving for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. I will move on then before fully saying what this verse does mean, and, and I should like to point out what this verse does not mean. What this verse does not mean is that we must be holy in order to earn salvation, in order to be saved. This passage of scripture is not saying that in order to earn salvation from God, we must do a bunch of good things 
and abstain from a bunch of bad things in order to please God so that we tip the scales and he decides to save us based upon something that we have done. That is not the testimony of Scripture, and if you are a Christian, you know this. Uh, matter of fact, at our home church right now, in Sunday school, I'm teaching verse by verse with the Gospel of John, and one of the things that I, I said over and over again to those who are attending my classes, that if you learn anything from this class, what you should learn is that Christians are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and not of works, not of any condition within oneself. Obviously, there are going to be countless other parts of the Bible that teach that, but I, the Gospel of John just makes that so very clear. clear. He who believes has eternal life. It is by means of faith, which is a gift from God, not based upon anything that we do, any condition within us. So we understand that the Bible does not contradict itself, okay? And so this passage of Scripture that we are reading in Hebrews chapter 12 is not telling us that we need to be holy in order to earn salvation. That's very clear. Well, what then is it telling us? That when it says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. What this is, is the truth that personal holiness, what we call sanctification, the process of becoming more and more Christ-like throughout your life, Personal holiness is a necessary, evident fruit of salvation, which comes by faith. As James says in his epistle, faith without works is dead. When a person has genuine, saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, holiness follows. Their works will show it. You will be able to recognize that something has happened to them because they are no longer what they once were. Tell me, what was Jesus saying in John chapter 3 when he said to Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, he will neither see nor enter the kingdom of God. He was saying that in order to be saved and enter into God's graces, that God the Holy Spirit must give you new life, must give you birth from above a removal of one's heart of stone and the gift of a heart of flesh, a spiritual, supernatural, radical change in one's heart, a work of the Holy Spirit in your soul. This is what must happen for one to be saved, born again. And so you see from this quite clearly that if words have any meaning at all, and if Jesus intended to communicate something when he said that a man must be born again, either see or enter the kingdom of God, that the person who is saved, who has faith in Jesus Christ, is a person who has been radically changed by the Holy Spirit. For they were once dead. But just as God breathed life into Adam in the garden, God has breathed new life into the Christian. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. Christian people, true, actual, factual Christian people will be noticeably different from the non-believers of this world. Christian people are not the same people that they were before they were converted because conversion is a supernatural work whereby one is given new life. That's why Jesus calls it being born again. When people look at you, they should know, they should sense, there's something different about you. You are different. 1 Peter chapter 4 speaks of the pagan unbelievers being surprised when the Christians do not join in in their debauchery. I should ask many people in this congregation today, do the unbelievers see something different in you? Do the unbelievers of this world see that you are to some degree different? Can they tell at all that you are not the same as them? Can they even perceive just a little bit that something radical has happened to you, akin to being born again, akin to new spiritual life? For behold, the scripture rings true this day, this very hour, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There are a great many who profess to be in Christ, and I simply ask this question. Are you a new creation? Are you a new creation? Has the old passed away? Has the new come? Please note that I am not here talking about something which applies only to some Christians, but not all Christians. What you see in, in back in Hebrews chapter 12, 14, what we see in verse 14 is that what is being said is, in regards to holiness, is that without it, no one will see the Lord. No one. That is universal. That is all-encompassing. No one, this is very important, no one who is not holy will see the Lord. That, that is the sobering, solemn reality that we find in our Bibles this morning. No one who isn't holy will see the Lord, and therefore, all those who do see the Lord are those who have been made holy. Holiness. This is a necessary attribute for the Christian to have. At this point, it's necessary for me to say once again that holiness does not mean sinless perfection. Okay, I will debate anyone on the basis of Scripture who wants to say that a Christian can be perfectly without sin in this life on earth. That, that is not true. Okay. Why is it that none of the great saints throughout church history ever claimed to be sinlessly perfect? Why is it that the Apostle Paul himself writes about the inner warfare between the spirit and the flesh in Romans chapter 7? It is because sin, as I said at the beginning, is so deadly, so poisonous an enemy, and such a dangerous enemy, that even those who have been born again, who we've said is a radical, supernatural change, even those who have had this change in their hearts, had this change in their souls, they will still struggle with sin. That tells you that we're dealing with something very, very serious here. For why would we have would we be admonished in Scripture to, quote, fight the good fight of faith, unless there was a fight to actually fight? To be holy means that this inner conflict, the conflict between your flesh and the Spirit, is a reality in your life. All true Christians are marked by an ongoing spiritual warfare. The battle between sin and righteousness in one's own life. I will not deny that. But I will deny that anyone who is not experiencing this battle is a Christian. For I cannot comprehend that reality coinciding with what we read in our Bibles. To sum things up, the man or the woman who is holy, while they are not perfect, while sin remains a struggle in your life and in the life of the preacher that's here this morning, in the life of every true Christian, sin is still a battle. But it is a battle. It's something that we are fighting. We are actually and actively waging war against our sin. The true Christian is not living in their sin. They're not basking in the pleasures that sin offers. They are not basking in the pleasures of wickedness. They have put on the full armor of God, and by grace and faith, for no one can fight this battle without grace. No one can fight this battle without grace, but by grace and faith, they are going to war against the sin that is in their lives. They're in a battle, and so they are noticeably different in their new Christian life than they were before, for the natural man does not fight this battle. So the Christian is noticeably different from the people of this world. I will now move on to attempt to answer the second question which I've given you this morning, and that is the question, why should we be holy? Now, the first word in verse 14 is the word strive. Holiness is something to strive for, something to be worked for, something to pursue in. But why should we? Well, I suppose the answer to this is largely found in what we've just read, is the basic meaning of this verse, that 
without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That holiness is a necessary and visible fruit of salvation. That if all who have genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are holy, then those of us who call ourselves Christians ought to want to be holy. But I don't think we should stop there. Because someone would call my words this morning legalistic. They would say that I'm full of law, that, that, that I'm just calling people to stop doing this, stop doing that, start doing this and that, and, and then that's what I'm doing here. But a Christian living is not about doing a bunch of good things you hate and abstaining from a bunch of bad things that you wish you were doing. That's, that's, that's not what's going on as a Christian. I mean, why do we have that conversation about what Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again? The Christian is a person who is a new creation. Their desires, their affections have changed. What they want to do is not the same anymore. And so I wish to give you some encouraging words that I pray will increase your desire for holiness. So aside from the fact that without holiness, no one will see the Lord, uh, and, and including the man standing in this pulpit this morning, without holiness, I don't see the Lord, and you, yes, you, sitting in the pew right now, hearing my voice, you will not see the Lord without holiness. You yourself, no one who is saved does not have this characteristic. We will not see the Lord without holiness. But there's also the matter of the Lord himself. You see, Christian people, at our very beings. We ought to be God-centered. We ought to seek and desire the glory of God in all things. And living holy lives gives glory to God. But why, do we, why do we begin this worship service with the singing of hymns, the singing of praises? That's because we want to give glory to God. For who deserves it but Him? Living holy lives gives glory to God. What we read in uh, the great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, where Jesus prays for the glory of God, he also prays that we, his people, would be sanctified in the truth. And so, dear Christian, does it not burn within your heart? to desire to live a holy life unto the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to do everything in your power, everything in your strength, everything in your capabilities to please God with your life, to live holy so as to give Him glory? Does your heart not have this desire? It, it, is, is God not worth changing our lifestyle for? Is, is, is God not worth changing our hearts for? Once again, this is something that we must do by grace. This is not, not something which our flesh, our bodies want to do. That's why, that's why it's so hard to do. Living, living holy lives is, is not easy to do. And that's why I emphasize that one must be born again before this can happen. You, you, you need God working in your life. You need God giving you grace and strength every single day in order to accomplish what it is that, I, that we are calling you here to do. This, this is not something we do in our own strength. Why? Because we are not living our lives for ourselves. We are living our lives for another. We are living our lives for God, who is holy Holy, holy. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher, said this. He said, the first and the supreme consideration must always be the glory of God. We are to live to his glory. It is only as we look at life in that way that we shall see why we are meant to be holy and why we should be holy. Now, of course, the glory of God, I believe, does indeed work itself out in a personal way in our lives. We are called in Scripture, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
Christians are God-centered people. We are God-conscious. We set our minds to the things of God by the Spirit of God. And so, not necessarily to detract from the importance of the glory of God by, by any stretch, but in addition to this, I, I, I want to endeavor to give what would be, I guess, considered more some practical admonitions for holiness as well. You see, because I am convinced that for Christians, the holier we are, the happier we are. The more holiness and righteousness that we attain to, the more lively our Christianity will feel. The Bible says that if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. You know, God, God is personally involved in the lives of His children. When we are more consciously aware of and seeking after the things of God, the more real, the more tangible His presence will feel to us. This is one of the reasons why I think that James in his epistle says that without works, one's faith is dead. Because one who has faith and holiness and the works is a person whose faith is not dead, but is alive. Not just that they have been justified, that they've checked the box and that's it, don't have to worry about it anymore. No. Their faith is living. Their faith is active. Their faith has got soul. It's got energy. It's something real. It's something that we are involved in and we are aware of. And, and we are walking with God every single day. It's not dead. It's not static. It's not lifeless. But it is a living faith. The Bible calls us to pursue righteousness. The Christian who is holy is a Christian whose Christianity has energy. They're, they are concerned about, they are involved within their Christian lives. It, it is important to them. It is not just an external legalistic thing that they do on Sundays where we put on nice clothes and we put on our Christian game face and that's it. Don't have to think about it anymore rest of the week. That is not true Christianity. Have you been born again? Has the old passed away? Have the new things come? Are you a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God? Then your faith ought to be living. This is one of the reasons why I think the Apostle Paul says to live is Christ. Because he was living for Christ and for the glory of God. And just as Christ became an ever-increasing part of the Apostle Paul's Life and, and every aspect of, of his life, that, that is what we should do, too. Holiness is a glorious thing. It, it is a wonderful thing. It is a lovely thing. It is a glorious thing to, to pursue because it will increase the joy that you have in your life as you draw near to God and He draws near to you. And, and you grow in fellowship with Him. And you grow in love for Him. And you grow in devotion to Him. Remember, I, you're, you're not going to understand holiness if all you think this is is do this, don't do that, and you just got an angry guy standing at you, pointing his finger at you. That, that's, not, that's not what this is. What this is is I love God. I love Jesus Christ. I love the Holy Spirit. Why? For what God has done for me. I want to please Him because He loves me and I love Him. That's, that's what it's about. That's what is fueling this whole thing. It is by grace. We are not under law, but we are under grace. We live day by day by faith in what he has done for us. This, this is a lovely thing. This is not a legalistic thing. This is a lovely thing. When you're concerning yourself with holiness, you're moving God closer and closer to the center of your priorities. And since God is infinitely perfect, and wonderful, putting God in the center of your life is just going to inevitably make you a happier person, a more enriched, more living person. So I, I get so sad when I see uh, people who have their, their desires and their 
affections fixated on, on the things of this world, on, on, on temporal things, where it's to the point where if all your hope is in, in your money, is in your possessions, is in your relationships with other people, these things are going to fail you. Why? Because they're not perfect. I often will tell young people who get discouraged, I say, listen, don't put your faith in these other things, and, and don't put your faith in the church, and don't put your faith in me. Why? Because everything, every physical thing is not perfect in the family. But when the center of your priorities is God, is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is perfect, who is without fault, that he will never fail you. I promise you that. I will fail you. The church will fail you. Your money will fail you. Your relationships will fail you. But God will not. And so, in addition to this, I understand that lots of times Christians, real, actual Christians, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, uh, and another issue that we face in our Christian lives is that sometimes we may struggle with assurance of salvation. The storms of this life, the sin that we are battling, can some, uh, uh, and, and the evil and wickedness of this present age can sometimes rock you to and fro and have such an effect on you that you're left wondering whether or not you're really saved at all, whether or not you've truly been converted, whether or not this your Christianity, your faith, this, this thing you do, whether or not it, it's real. Sometimes the storms of this life and, and the waves can sort of blind you to you so you feel like you're one of Noah's sons and, and, and all you can see is the waves and all you can see is the rocks and, and the storm and, and the flood and you're not sure whether or not you're really in the ark at all. You're not sure whether or not you're really in Christ at all. But this, this feeling is a dreadful thing. It, it will give you desperation. It will give you frightfulness. But I will tell you this, that the Christian who increases in holiness is going to be more likely to increase in assurance. It's going to be easier to recognize that you're really in the faith. You can look at your life and, and, and say, while I still struggle with sin, I see the work of God. I, I see how God has worked in my heart. I see how God has, has really changed my life. And you can recognize this. This is something that that, that, is, that is real, that you can look at and identify and, and be comforted in it. The Christian who increases in holiness is more likely to increase in assurance than the Christian whose faith remains static and dead. There, there is great comfort that is available to you when you pursue holiness. As you kill sin, as you triumph over the devil, as you do more and more good and charitable deeds, the more that you serve the Lord, the more you will be sure that your Christian walk is a Christian walk at all. And so the pursuit of holiness will lead to a happier, richer Christian, a more assured Christian. It will lead to a more earnest Christian, a warm and wholehearted Christian. The holier a person is, the more they will be led to deep, sincere, and strong feelings of genuine affection and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what kind of Christian would not want that? What kind of Christian would not, would not desire that? To have a greater love for Jesus Christ. Is not love one of the most positive and joyful experiences that we have in this life? The love that you have for your spouse, the love that you have for your family, the love that you have for your friends, the love that you have for the church. These are all tremendous feelings that we have. This is a blessing that God gives us in our lives. But as I've spoken before, the love for your spouse, the love for your children, the love for your family, the love for the church, this, this is a love for, while they might be lovely things, imperfect things nonetheless. Your spouse, your friends, your family, your children, your church, these things are not perfect. But Jesus Christ is. The love you have for Jesus Christ is a love for he who is perfect, the lamb without blemish, without spot, without failure, without inadequacy. Jesus Christ is perfect. And the love 
you have for Jesus Christ is a love for he who is perfect. Do you not? You don't see how that transcends, how that, that, that is different than our ordinary affections? The love for Jesus Christ, which is a love for him who is perfect, will lead to greater heights of bliss, greater heights of gladness, greater heights of delight and joy. Holiness is the key to a happy, assured, and sincere Christianity. It will lead to a clear conscience and a satisfied mind. And ultimately, the person who is giving over their life to the glory of God, they are making one of the greatest sacrifices we can ever make. For who is more worth living for? Me? My name? Who, who will die and be put in a grave and my name will be forgotten? Or would I rather live for God, who is eternal? My goal in answering this last question was to increase your desire for holiness. I think that this is, it's something that we should desire, as I have spoken. And, and so at this moment, if by the grace of God, the Spirit has wrought in you, wrought in your heart, a desire, a true desire for real, personal holiness, then I, I am very glad about that. And, and so the third question that we have left to answer is this. How? How are we to be holy? How, how do we attain holiness? What steps are we to take in pursuing and growing in holiness? You will remember that I have said that holiness is a fruit of salvation, an evidence of genuine faith. I have maintained that only those who are holy are Christians. But what I will, I'll kind of switch that around and say to you, only those who are Christians are holy. Once again, this is not something we do in our own strength. This is not something that we do in our own flesh or in our own nature. The first step in becoming holy is not a step that you take. It is a step that God takes. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that our Lord Jesus Christ refers to when he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be made new. You must be a new creation. Something radical must happen to you. A radical change must happen for holiness to be a part of your life. Because it is by grace. It is all of grace. To be holy, you must have union with Jesus Christ. You must be joined to him. In John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So the first order of business in pursuing holiness is that, is that you get saved. Is that you become a Christian. And, and we understand, we have to understand that, that being a Christian, that being saved, is not something we do. It is not something we accomplish. It is entirely a work of God. By grace, through faith, so that no one may boast. Whatever you believe about salvation, you must believe that it is something which you can take zero credit for. Or else you're contradicting the very testimony of Scripture when he says so that no man may boast. Why? Because grace, faith, is a gift of God. And so I urge anyone who may be listening to me, I urge you, I beg of you, I plead you to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, to bow the knee to his lordship, to call upon his name. He has lived the perfect life that you can't live and that I can't live, but he actually did it. He lived the perfect life. He suffered and he died on the cross and rose again that whosoever would believe in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Have eternal life. There was one old preacher who spoke out of the King James. He said, he that believeth hath eternal life. H-A-T-H. That spells God. This, this is how you enter into salvation. It is by faith. So you call upon his name, you bow beneath him, you give your life over to him. You say, God used me. God changed me. God, I desire to be made new. I desire to live for your glory. Not for myself. Let my name perish and let your name be heralded throughout all the ages. 
for he alone deserves it. Romans chapter 6 says that the one who has faith, we are united with Christ, united with him in his death and in his resurrection. And the application that the Apostle Paul makes is that we have died to sin and been made alive to God. Do not hesitate this. Do not put this off. The day of salvation is today. Tomorrow, this next hour is not promised to you. You must do business with God right now, wherever you are, wherever you are hearing my voice. But for the Christian, for the one who does have faith, the one who has real faith and is saved, I am telling you, righteousness is something to be pursued. We are to grow in holiness. The solemn, the sobering, serious warning that we read scripture in the book of Hebrews, which, which is full of warnings, but the warning that I read to you this morning is without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And if you love the Lord, would you not desire to see him? Would you not desire to spend eternity with him? Well, we are to grow in holiness, and so we ask the question, well, what means has God ordained for us to take advantage of that we might pursue holiness? And I have really just two answers for you, and, and for some Christians, it, it may not sound like enough, it may sound like I need to give something more, but truthfully, I can think of nothing else than what I'm about to tell you this morning. And so it may sound cliche, Sometimes cliches are, are true. And so firstly, and obviously, what has God given us? He's given us his word, our Bibles, the word of God. And in the verse that I quoted from earlier, he said that in order to bear fruit, we must abide in him. Those are the words of Jesus. And Jesus, elsewhere in the Gospel of John, says, talks about abiding in his word. Now to to abide in Christ, to abide in his word, essentially, that means the same thing. We are to continue in, we are to remain in the person and the truth of Jesus Christ. Well, how do we know anything about Jesus? How, how do we know anything about the message of the cross? How do we know anything about salvation? Where does this truth come from? Well, it, it comes from his book that he's given us. This, this is where it comes from. And so when Jesus talks about abiding in his word, abiding in his truth, abiding in who he is, contained in this is quite obviously our Bibles. It is the Word of God. Remain in the Holy Book. Read, meditate, study God's Word, seek to know its truth. This, this will assist you and equip you for all good work, including holiness. Now, as I've said, that may sound cliche, but, but it is true. It is very true. And the next thing that I'm going to admonish you towards is also cliche, but it is just as true. And that is prayer. My brothers and sisters, do not underestimate the importance and value of personal, private prayer. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God. Spend time with the Lord. Do you love Him? Do you love it? Prayer. It is truly a blessing that we as Christians have, that we have the ability to commune with God, the creator and the king of the universe. He gives us this gift, so do not forsake it. Prayer will do wonders for your soul, and when you pray that God will make you holy, he will make you holy. So, but to wrap things up, the text that we have spent our time on this morning is, is certainly not the most popular verse in the Bible. There is there is great risk in, in preaching a sermon like this in a lot of churches because it's, it's, it's not what the modern church wants to focus on. We don't want to make holiness our message. We want to make us, we, we strive to be as worldly as possible. We want to appease the culture. We want to peace people, but 
But listen, the word of the cross is foolishness to them that are perishing, and to us it is the power of God. And so, if we're going to try and alter the message of the gospel so that it is no longer foolishness to them that are perishing, well, guess what? It's no longer the power of God. And so, I, I realize that this is not the most popular subject, but this is not the verse that you're going to see hung up on the fridges, posted on Facebook, tattooed on the arms, all, all the different things, but, but it, it's really important. It, it truly is. And so I pray that by the Holy Spirit, the truth of his word has been illuminated to you, that it's going to be clear, that you see its relevance and its importance to your everyday life, and that when I leave this pulpit, the desire to strive for the holiness without which no one shall see the Lord will be in all of our hearts. Let's go in a word of prayer. Father God, Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your truth. Father God, it breaks us, it pains us, and it hurts us that we have failed you so many times. Father God, we are broken over our sin. Father God, we lament our sin, we hate our sin. We plead with you night and day to take our sin away, dear God. It troubles us, it disturbs us. Father God, we, we have desire to live for you. We want to bring you glory in our lives. Father, we want to pursue holiness. We want to pursue righteousness. And dear God, we know that we only do this by grace. This is not something that we accomplish in our own strength or in our own work. Dear God, we rely on you totally. Father God, keep us humble. Remind us that we have nothing to boast for that all that we have as Christians, the fact that I can stand here this morning as a man redeemed is only because I've been redeemed, only because you have done that work in my heart. You've made me a new creation in Christ, and you've done that for so many people here this morning, and I pray that for those who have not yet entered into that radical change, dear God, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would call them out, that you would bring them to you, that you would give them new spiritual life. Father God, impress the truth of your word upon our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.